Well, well, good morning. Welcome to Machine Learning. This is David Nishimoto. Today I'll be talking about another week with Flutter. And uh, it was, uh, spent most of the week uh, working with uh, IIS. And um, the reason why I had to work with uh, IIS is uh, deploying my web API. And uh, that took a little bit of work uh, to get up and running. And uh, what I had to do was upgrade uh, upgrade to .NET Core 3.0. And the reason why is because a lot of the code examples for uh, cross original request uh, was done now in 3.0. And uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, my using course was um, which is a reference to the um, the cross-reference capability so I, uh, was was implemented in 3.0 and so the what I did is I uh, you could download the .NET Core 3.0 from Microsoft site you install it and then you have to migrate your code or else create a new uh, project in 3.0 and that's what I did. I created a new project in 3.0 and compared the differences um, in between 3.0 and 2.0 in the, the programs of .cs file and also the startup CS. And what was interesting is there was some differences like uh, um, uh, in the configuration, instead of a use MVC, uh, there were endpoints and uh, the backward compatibility uh, piece was replaced with another component so uh, you can find a number of websites that show you the differences uh, it wasn't too bad I was able to uh, get the, uh, the the startup changed and then the programs.cs changed uh, so that that was that was uh, that was good and then I was able to compile it um, I also had to upgrade my Entity Frameworks to 3.0 and also uh, my SQL, Entity Frameworks.SQL packages. And you just use NuGet to do that. Um, and so once I was able to upgrade those to a, to a version, a stable version that it, everything would work, then I tried to do my deploy. And uh, um, uh, First, when I did the deploy, I didn't realize that in 3.0, it wanted to know about the context connection strings and also the regular connection strings for your local uh, database connection. And it was detecting the, the local um, database strings from the, um, from the JSON's configuration file, uh, but then I had to cut and paste those connection strings in for the context and then redeploy it. So you want to also have set it up so that your web API is uh, under secure certificate and uh, and that, that then protects your API and now you can make uh, your call from your development environment. So my development environment sits on uh, my MacBook Pro. I run it under uh, I run it under Visual Studio Code for the Mac, and uh, and then it makes calls to the endpoint uh, on this on this 
MySQLs uh, on the IIS server and uh, using a secure connection. And that that was that's that's nice uh, configuration. Um, one of the things that that I noticed with Flutter this week as I was um, I was working with connecting to the data and getting data back and and uh, understanding the asynchronous process is that you need to make sure that the state object has been mounted before you make the call um, so that the variables and things that are you're referencing are in existence so you don't get null errors. Uh, if they are, don't exist, then you, you could run the chance of getting a null error. Um, and uh, so here, let me, I'm going to walk you through kind of like the uh, state machine, how I think it's working. And, uh, you know, I'm still new at this. It's the second week uh, working with Flutter. Uh, but, uh, but I do have a lot of understanding just from, uh, from doing the code this week. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, I think maybe this might be insightful to you as you're you're doing your uh, first database connections and you're, you're trying to get your flutter to talk to the web API <clears throat> I do like the fact that uh, you can use fiddler as your uh, proxy reverse proxy sitting in the center between the client and the server to watch the traffic um, also you can use uh, uh, Chrome inspector and uh, you can see what the error messages that you're going to run into if, if there are problems. Um, one of the things that I had to do with Fiddler that was a little interesting to get it to uh, communicate with the web API is uh, I, with the .NET Core 3.0 was I had to um, set the the uh, proxy settings configuration to allow for TLS 1.2 and uh, I had to search uh, Stack Overflow for a little while to find that. Uh, it doesn't uh, default to that and you have to add that configuration in so that uh, so that your fiddler can talk to your web API through the secure connection <clears throat> and uh, so once I added that then Fiddler was able to see the API and, and I was able to uh, uh, do an execute on a get and get the JSON string back so I was happy about that okay so going back to Flutter um, basically on the Flutter side we have uh, we have a stateful object your, you have a root, it calls the stateful object, um, um, or a stateless, excuse me, a stateless object, and then it, that stateless widget um, then calls a state, extends a state of that type of a stateless widget. And uh, the state object has a build, so the only thing that the stateless widget does is it calls the um, state object and the state object has a build function and that build function is called by default when it's first instantiated and also every time the set state is called um, so every time you do set state the state uh, is updated 
variables, uh, private variables are updated, and uh, and then uh, that that uh, widget is re-rendered, -re calling invoking the the build uh, method, and so um, the the thing about state is that uh, state at a lower um, widgets in the tree can affect uh, states on the higher part of the tree and uh, they can make calls uh, to different methods at the higher part. Uh, what I did is I put my uh, widget APIs, all my endpoints, in a um, class called API widget and it inherits and it inherits um, from the inherited widget uh, type. And uh, what that allows me to do is I can then uh, call that class, uh, it's almost like a static class in C Sharp, where I can call it uh, and its methods and pass in the state's existing context and um, and then it uh, will call, uh, I can invoke those methods inside of that class. So it's, it's real nice. You can, that way you can, have a, you can have all your endpoints centralized in one area and making uh, calls. So now, one of the interesting features of uh, Dart is that it's all asynchronous by default. And so everything is running asynchronously and so if you want to uh, do the await you, you have to put the await keyword so here's kind of the flow for uh, doing the get it's a little bit complex but it's not bad once you understand it and uh, the methodology for uh, getting back a single object or a list of objects okay I'm gonna walk you through getting back a single object so the first thing you want to do is define a class um, of, your, of the type that you're going to return back. So you, what you can do is you can just take uh, knowing your, your data types. You have to know your data types for the fields. Um, you can take your fiddler uh, and run that and get your JSON string and then open that up. And then you can use basically the same names that you have in the JSON string and then set the, um, the types in your class. Now, in your class, you're going to have a constructor, and this constructor um, is going to be called by a, a factory method, and I'll explain how that works in just a moment. But in the constructor, um, you'll have the par parameters, and each one of the parameters is a binding to uh, the attribute in the class. So, if I've got uh, field one, I'm going to have a parameter of this dot field one and um, and so um, uh, then when uh, then what so what what you do is uh, uh, you map each one of the fields incoming fields to the constructor uh, fields so you'll have this field one comma this field two etc Okay, that takes care of the constructor. So we're gonna get the data into the class through the constructor. Then you're gonna have a factory and uh, what you call, uh, just you created just a function, what I called it was from JSON. And then it'll, um, 
be a map type of um, dynamic string and dynamic. And what that does is it, it they're converting everything into a key value pair. So um, as you pass that string in, uh, it's a key value pair, and now you can access um, the particular type of the JSON um, uh, per attribute through the key. So you give it the key, which would be bracket, uh, quote, and then the name of the, the field in the um, JSON string. And then that is then bound to the constructor of the class. Um, so then each one of those, those fields from the JSON is being mapped now directly into um, the parameters for the constructor. So that's the, the general idea. So then when you do a get, um, it uh, is gonna return back to you uh, a response. And then, in the, and then when you uh, parse the response, you're gonna do, uh, you're gonna do uh, uh, JSON parse, and, uh, and then you're gonna do the response.body as the parameter. And then that will create key value pair you're going to cast that to your class type and so by casting it you create a, uh, a dictionary or a mapping what they call mapping and it's basically a key value pair then what so then once you have that then you it's you've got a uh, basically a, a map and uh, then you can uh, call the map function give it the class type as the, as the type uh, in the generic, so it's a map and then uh, uh, less than greater than, and then you put in your class type. And then you'd have a lambda function, and uh, so what that's doing is the lambda function is taking every uh, um, map object so you're going to have, and the map object represents a class in JSON form, and it's going to then call its uh, method from JSON, and it will pass in the JSON string as a dynamic text, and that will be converted into the class type of, uh, that you've specified, and then at the very end, uh, you call to list and that forms now a list of uh, class objects, a collection of class objects. So that's kind of the intense part for a list. Um, if, you were, if you weren't doing the list, all you would need to do is uh, 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 then just uh, get the JSON, do a from JSON, and uh, pass in the object and the objects uh, from JSON and then it will return back um, a class. So it's just the, the simple form to that. So that's kind of like, a, in a nutshell, how to communicate, how to take a JSON and, and uh, uh, deserialize it into a class. And then going the reverse, you, take a, you can take a class and you can serialize it into JSON, and then you can do a put and a post or a delete uh, back to the web API. So one of the things that's kind of interesting about working with JSON is that uh, um, at first you're kind of uh, 
little bit, it's a little bit, um, um, kind of like, uh, working with text. You know, it, it has to kind of match up. It's more like conventional programming where naming is very important. And then you're able to line things up that way. Um, so in the case where I, if you look at this process, kind of breaking it down, you get a list of dictionary items or maps, and um, and then you apply a mapping function on that of a class type. So you're going to take that dictionary item and you're going to serialize, deserialize it into a certain class type, and then um, you'll use a lambda function to invoke the class's factory pattern. So there's, in, in Dart you have two uh, object-oriented patterns that are very popular. One is the factory pattern, and basically a factory uh, will generate a object of a certain class type, and, uh, and that's done through uh, abstract classes. And then the other uh, pattern that you'll see is the builder pattern, and the builder pattern um, takes uh, a set of parameters and it's invoked of a certain class type, and then it will generate uh, classes of that type, one or more classes of that type, and uh, objects of that type. And so the um, Dart has uh, list view builder, uh, grid view builder. Um, uh, there's the one where it's looking at the uh, stream. If, the, if, uh, if something changes in the stream, it causes a builder event. Uh, there's an orientation builder. So if you do a rotation, like you rotate it from landscape to portrait or portrait to landscape, it may cause that builder to run again and then uh, utilize the, the space uh, appropriately. Um, so there's there's a number of builders that it uses uh, in, in those patterns. So when you when you're um, when you're thinking of uh, the way when I read the documentation, I haven't really experimented with this because I haven't got you know too heavy into builders yet, but. Um, when I, when I looked at it, I thought, well, okay, so now you've got a builder and, uh, and it's watching, uh, it's watching conditions. Um, one of the things that it, it said is that builders can load, load lists uh, on demand. So it would know when to retrieve uh, more information from the, the server and, and pull data in. So, I'm kind of wondering if with these builders, is that they're, they're kind of dynamic. So uh, when, when you get uh, a stream of data coming back from the API, it, it, the, the thread immediately starts uh, utilizing that incoming data and uh, invoking the builder. And it's, um, <clears throat> it's then uh, mapping uh, JSON into class structures and then those class structures are then being sent to builder objects, and then the builder the builder is uh, then inserting these new objects into this into the list view. So then you'd have like it's kind of like similar like uh, the way you do 
any souvenirs programming is that as the data is coming in, it's you're enumerating through that data uh, on demand. So, in a classic example of C sharp would be iQueryable. You don't actually invoke the resource until you uh, call the for each, and then it invokes uh, the resource and makes the connection, and then uh, calls the data. So all the definition is stored, and uh, and then when you call the for each, uh, it's invoked, and and you get you get data back. Um, and so then, then it makes the journey over the server. And the reason why you like iQueryable is, is let's say you have a huge list of data. Let's say you have a million rows of data that you're gonna cycle through. You don't wanna put all that data into one collection and pass it around. That's just a lot of resource. So um, the better way would be to return to iQueryable and then um, in your method call that um, so that uh, it enumerates through that large data set, and you can do whatever processing you want uh, inside the for each state. Um, and so that's kind of the nice feature, I think, with Stream Builder and, and these builder patterns is that you can take advantage of the asynchronous capabilities. Well, we'll have to see more how that works um, because it's gonna, that's, uh, some of those areas that I haven't got into yet, but I, I plan on looking at next week. Um, what my strategy is, and you might want to follow this same strategy, is uh, uh, when you have more time, be looking at the uh, data processing and the state processing of Dart, and then in, in when you have less time, uh, practice more of your UI. So this morning I was practicing more of the UI and that included things like, um, uh, I was uh, looking at how to create a uh, drawer. So the hamburger icon on the app title uh, can be done in the uh, scaffolding. And so you, the scaffolding has a title, uh, you have a, a body, you have a top navigator, you have a bottom navigator, and then you have drawing, and then you have end drawing. So end drawings for if you do a swipe from the right side uh, to left, or from left to right, so you do a swipe, swipe out. And, uh, and then the drawer is when you tap the hamburger icon. And so what, the, what happens is you have a, a drawer, and it uh, is a class type, and it has a children widget and then you insert into their rows. Now rows is another class type in Dart and it also has multiple children so you could have uh, you could have inside of a row. Uh, this Think of a row as a um, table cell in uh, Swift. So it, it's just a cell um, um, and inside of that, you can have different uh, components. You can have a text box, you can have a check box, you can have an image. And so you, you can put whatever you want in that row. Um, what I did is I put an icon 
and then on the icon uh, I put a tap event on, on press and then uh, output some data. What I'm going to do is uh, uh, I'll wire that up to the navigator uh, push and I can then push another widget onto uh, the stack and that would have the effect of uh, creating another view. So you can think of these rows as uh, table cells. And so you can have one or more uh, rows as uh, children to a draw. And uh, that's of a widget type also. So you have, uh, and so the hierarchy would go, uh, it would go a drawer, and then under a drawer you'd have one or more rows, and inside the rows that you could have other widgets that represent uh, graphics and, and, and events that you want to capture on those. And all this is being handled by the state machine. So it's just a really nice way to think of things as you design things out. So when you're working with your UI, UX people, they can be talking about the type of behavior that they want from the widgets and they also can uh, give you the look and feel. Each one of, now one of the interesting things about um, Dart that you'll notice is that you don't have any CSS. Um, CSS is now being handled by all of the attributes on the class. And so um, in order you, uh, in order to get like a bounded box, uh, you, you would call the class for uh, draw, drawing a box um, outline, and then you would set the width and the color of the box, and then the um, uh, whether you want to have it dashed and stuff. And all these are attributes in the class. So that's going to be one of the reasons for having an editor for Dart. It's going to probably be a must is that you're going to have different uh, styles uh, that you're going to want and you're going to want the machine to generate up the code for that. Uh, you can do it yourself. Uh, it just requires a little bit more typing. Uh, but I can see where the editor could do a lot of that work for you and uh, put you back in the driver's seat of, of just, uh, just creating the layouts to the UI UX specifications, colors, and uh, making the look and feel look more like what the, the presentation should should be. So those are some of the little gotchas. Um, but you can do things like rounded corners, square boxes, dashed lines, all that can be done. And, uh, and so kind of the nightmare of CS is leaving with Flutter and you're getting into more uh, control on each one of the um, widgets for a look and feel. You have a theme, and this is a high level uh, that applies generally at the application level, and that uh, create things like your default fonts and, and uh, colors and, and the background colors and things like that. But then down in the actual widget yourself, uh, you don't use CSS, you use uh, different classes to create the look and feel. So everything is programmable. And that's going to be the nice switch is moving from a scripting language to uh, a programmable language. I think uh, CSS was starting to move this way, but uh, Flutter has definitely incorporated that. Maybe some point in the future, it may have some hybrids where uh, you could incorporate uh, C 
CSS attributes into uh, widget components. I didn't research that, but it looked like from the documentation that they wanted you to do it from a programming standpoint. So there's a lot of information this week. Uh, the important thing is when you're setting up your, your HTTP is you're going to go into your uh, PubSec uh, YAML and uh, you get used to using that. Uh, it's a positional language just like Python so you have to be really careful uh, and to make sure that you, you put uh, your parameters in the right position. Uh, don't have white spaces in certain areas. Run into some articles where they were having problems because of white spacing. So um, you you for HTTP you uh, give it the um, package name and then the version, and uh, you can use a, a, a plus to get the latest version. So you can give it the version and then you use the plus and then sign at the end and that'll tell it to get the most latest version. And then as soon as you hit save, then um, it, will, it will do a uh, pub get and it'll go get that package and bring it in and uh, it'll check your uh, pubsec YAML to make sure it, it can parse it correctly. If, it, if you can't, it'll give you errors. Um, and, and so it'll, it'll grab that package, bring it in and, uh, and then you can uh, you, then you can import uh, the package. So then you put uh, in your in your code uh, package where you're going to use this. Then you do an import your H, your um, HTTP, and then you uh, package, and then you do an as HTTP, and uh, at the end of the, the package path for that and. Um, you can find that on, on the web, on the path. And uh, then uh, you can do, you can treat that as a server component and you can, inside of your uh, method, uh, you do uh, http.get, uh, then you give it the, the uh, URL and uh, you can set that base URL as a, a variable and then you can do your RESTful calls like a slash API slash uh, your, your, your controller uh, name slash and then API uh, function that you're calling slash and then a parameter you're passing. Very nice in that sense. Uh, and then you can do a dot and I believe it's duration and then you can pass in uh, a, a, a amount of time before it times out. So how many milliseconds it should elapse before uh, you throw an error. And, uh, uh, and then when it does return back the results, uh, the calling function that you call, if you await it, you have to put the word async at the end of the function. And the result set that you, if it's a class that you're deserializing to, then you'd say future uh, uh, less than the class name and then greater than. Um, if it's a list, then you'd say future list uh, and then the type of the class, and the, which would be the class name, and then return that list of class uh, that you've, you've uh, used um, 
after you've uh, parsed the JSON and then deserialized the JSON maps into a list of, uh, of class, class items. So in, in, when you're thinking about it, it's really quite simple. You're just taking your JSON web API, converting it into uh, a map, mapping collection, and then taking that mapping collection and converting it into a list of collections. And that's what you're all you're doing. So that's the simple part. Um, everything else going back to the server is uh, work. You work in classes inside of Dart. You work in um, widgets and you're basically creating uh, state machinery and uh, you're affecting the, you're calling methods of different parts of different widgets uh, and uh, you're using class structures to, um, to contain or encapsulate your data and also provide your behaviors and functionality. So it's truly object-oriented programming in its finest form. It's state machinery. It uses two object-oriented patterns that are very popular, uh, the factory pattern and the builder pattern. And um, so I guess, okay, so what are, what's uh, the plan now? Okay, so now the plan now is uh, to continue to uh, expand the functionality to the database, to uh, uh, build more than one, uh, call since it's uh, uh, I want to try to get something that works like a micro thread where I can set a set a task and uh, I can put them in a list of, uh, of task containers and then just run them and see if I get the results back uh, and, and try to improve efficiency that way so there should be the capability to do simultaneous uh, simultaneous results and the way I think you can do that is instead of doing the await uh, you do on the receiving end when you call the function the future function you do a dot then and uh, the dot then then create uh, you use a lambda function and then you can uh, you map the the uh, the lambda object that's being returned by the uh, future function into um, either a class that's a private variable in the state widget or or state object out and or um, into attributes of uh, properties fields like string type or integer type or uh, uh, image type or you know, whatever type that you're you're mapping back to, and uh, uh, sorry, so so there'd be variables that you're mapping into, and then um, in the lambda function you can call set state, and inside the set state you call another lambda function, and there you do your mapping. So um, so that you get uh, the set state invoked, which we'll call the builder, which will take all these attributes that you've mapped in and uh, render them back to the UI. So that's kind of the layering effect that you go, but it doesn't go any deeper than that, um, so that I can see so far. So, so that's that's gonna be uh, really nice for you in that sense. The other thing I wanna do 
is definitely get a better understanding of how the UI presentation is going to flow, what I'm going to be capable of in Flutter. Uh, it looks like that you have list views, you've got grid views where you can, uh, the grid view is a lot like a tile or a, a list in uh, ASP.NET. You can tile things uh, horizontally, tile things vertically. It does a count, it looks at uh, how much space is available, it tiles it uh, into a grid pattern, um, and then you can interact with those components in the grid view. Um, list view is more of a vertical listing. Uh, you'll have list items, and then uh, each one of those list items has can be invoked by a builder. It can be dynamically created. Uh, you can generate those list from either as a list of widgets and then inject that into the list view or you can use a list builder and uh, create that on the fly. So there's two ways to do to build list views. Uh, they have panels for panel expansion. Those are kind of like uh, what they called accordions in the old day where you have uh, basically expandable list and those were popular in iOS and so we got those we have that capability and that's something that panel expansion is something that you know, panels and panel expansion list are something that you want to uh, utilize it. And, and that just really creates a real fast way to look at your data you're seeing a kind of a, a summary once uh, title and you're quickly flicking through those titles and then when you want to see something uh, it has a little arrow down, you tap on that, and then your detail is displayed, and then if you want to see more detail off of that, you touch that, and then <clears throat> that'll navigate you over to uh, a view and uh, or another widget, and then you can see, uh, see that uh, uh, information. So those are, uh, panel expansion is definitely something I want to work with get a panel list, get that down, and uh, um, I'll maybe look at uh, grid view and, and uh, uh, list view builders, get a better feel on how the builders are going to work with the uh, web, my web API returning results back. But once you have that, you have full power of iOS because uh, you can now generate these, uh, this code out to Swift and it'll have all these behaviors that you're familiar with on iOS devices. You go to Android and it will have a similar uh, behavior, but it'll have a, a little bit different look uh, to the Android, but it, it will basically work the same way. And so uh, it's, this universal programming is really great. It, uh, it provides for one code source, that can be used universally across your your browser, your iOS device, um, and your Android device. And surprisingly enough, I don't know why there isn't a Window device. Uh, really surprised that uh, Microsoft is not a part of this uh, this this growing trend because um, they should be participating in it. And so you should. You know, maybe it's that um, 
they're say, thinking that Chrome will be the way that they want to interact with their devices on the Surface tablet or on the Windows handheld. But that is a very small market in comparison to uh, the iOS devices and the Samsung devices or the Android devices. So uh, capturing that market is going to be huge and uh, learning this technology is going to be very advantageous for you as a developer. It's not impossible. It's a different way of thinking. It's a better way of thinking. Um, and uh, reminds me of the old days of Visual Basic and Visual C++ programming. Uh, the difference with Visual C++ is that we did more with, uh, with uh, uh, wizards uh, and, and uh, tool development tools like uh, uh, Visual C++, but I have a feeling that uh, you know Visual Studio Code is is going to be the choice for development, and uh, and that uh, possibly Visual Studio will build some sort of um, template editor or an editor where we can do a lot of the design of Flutter inside of Visual Studio.